this last season that we've been in that so many of you are right now dealing with their consequences of in real time has been such a fascinating learning curve I believe for, for the church for me personally but I but I really believe for God's church God's people and and he seems to have in the midst of the chaos wanted to bring us into a new season and a new zone and a new level in him and at the very beginning of this year as I was spending some time just asking him what he wanted me to focus on I felt like he prompted me this was probably the first week of January I reckon he prompted me to go and start looking at the Hebrew calendar and where we're up to as far as the years and all of that kind of thing and what I discovered when I did that is that the Hebrew calendar moved into the decade of the 80s in September last year at Rosh Hashanah last year so the decade of the 70s is represented by the Hebrew letter Ayin which is symbolic of the all-seeing eye of God but we've just moved into the decade of the 80s which is represented by the Hebrew letter Pe, which is symbolic of God's mouth and I've, I found it absolutely fascinating sort of just looking into that and and going okay Lord so what you're saying is you brought us into a season where you are going to speak it's not going to be a season where we have to strive to hear because the Lord wants to speak and so for me I get excited about that because I go well then if all if all that's required of me is just to open up my ears and listen then I you know, great, because there's been so many seasons of life where I feel like we've we've really got to press in and, you know, there's God hiding behind a rock somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, but I really believe that at the moment he has wanted to bring us to a place where he will open our ears, but open our ears because he wants to pour stuff into us. He actually wants to speak. And, and if he wants to speak, then we better well jolly listen right and and take advantage of that if we've got a full decade a full 10 years 10 Hebrew years uh, which is the same um, of the Lord's mouth being open to us then this should be a time of extreme growth for his people if we're prepared to open up our ears and listen like it really should because you know when God speaks things happen right he says let there be and things happen and and if, if our job is simply to open up our ears and listen to what he's saying, then imagine the extraordinary things that he can do through this season if we're open to listening to what he has to say. So I didn't share that with my church last week, but I was sharing that with you today. But I, I wanted to start with sort of the, the key moment, I guess, for the Israelites where, you know, if you were to say, when was the time that God spoke boldly? Probably the first thing that they would think of would be, the Lord coming to Moses in the burning bush. So we're going to start there, but we're going to finish up in the New Testament. We're going to spend most of our time in the New Testament. Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, so this is where the Lord turns up in the burning bush. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so he gives him this brand new name, Yahweh, that we know relatively well now, but it had not been heard before. And at this point, Moses uh, is listening to the Lord say, I am, I am, that's my name. And it sounds like it's half a sentence, half a phrase, you know, I am uh, what, you know, was there meant to be something after that? Did I miss that, Lord? You know, that's what I'd be saying. I didn't hear the full sentence, Lord. Can you say it again? But 
he's he's basically what he's saying is I am it, it, like I am therefore all authority. I am preeminent. I am omnipotent. I am omnipresent. I am omniscient. I am all of those things. And effectively, what it is, is it's a statement of his authority, but also a statement of his presence. The, the implication being, if you want to, if you need to locate me, I am. And I love that. I love how intimate that, that half sentence name is, because it's essentially saying that for all time, God is locatable and he's present with us. And so then Moses goes and, and, and tells the Israelites and they are released from slavery in Egypt. But we're going to fast forward in, in, into the Gospel of John. And the thing with John that I find really fascinating, he's the, the last Gospel writer, but he's writing um, his Gospel down, his account, with obviously a bias, as all of the Gospel writers did, of what they're wanting for the readers to hear and what they're wanting them to grab hold of. The thing with John is that he uses this phrase, I am, in the Greek, it's ego eimi, which is an odd pairing of two Greek words, essentially to say, I am. And when Jesus uses this phrase again and again and again through John's gospel, it's very clear that John is trying to say, Jesus is equating himself with God. And so clearly for John's audience, uh, he's wanting them to understand this was a claim that he made, and it wasn't a claim that he made sort of by accident once. Um, John actually uses this phrase out of Jesus' mouth to over 20 times. And if you look at incidental times, it's even more than that. It's over 40. Um, you know, so things like uh, when he's talking to the disciples in the, at the Last Supper and he says to them, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you and um, so that you can come and be where I am. He uses that those words there. And so there's this real sense that for John, he's wanting to say, Jesus claimed this. He claimed to be God, but he claimed to, God, to be God multiple times and quite deliberately. It wasn't like a slip of the tongue. He wasn't using Greek words that say, here I am. He was using the Greek words that say, I am God. And so he uses it when he's talking to the Samaritan woman as they're at the well. And she says, the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Um, and he replies and says, I am he. Uh, he uses it when he walks on water to the disciples in the middle of the night and they go, oh, it's a ghost. And they're kind of scared. And uh, he says, don't be afraid. I am. And he uses it when the teachers of the Lord challenge him about Abraham. They say, well, you know, you couldn't be greater than Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so all of these times again and again and again, he's using this phrase, ego amy, to say, I am God. If you want to find the presence of God, if you want to find the authority of God, you are going to find it in me. And so it's this massive claim. And it's, it's no surprise that he was then, you know, accused of blasphemy so many times because of the claim that he was making again and again and again. So we're going to have a look at um, John chapter six, where he, he says, I am the bread of life. But I want to back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter six, because it's actually uh, chapter six is kind of a 24 hour period of some significant things that happened um, in Jesus ministry. It begins with Jesus speaking to the 5,000. It was more than 5,000, 5,000 men, but there were, would have been women and children there as well. So it was a significant multitude of people. Um, and he spent time with them all day. The disciples come and they go, we've got to send these, these guys off, but there's no town nearby. 
how are they going to feed themselves? Like they need to, they, they, you know, apparently they couldn't live without food for a day. They couldn't fast or they might starve to death or something. I don't know. But he said, but they're panicking, you know, we've got to get these guys food or give them an opportunity to go and get food. We've essentially, we've kept them here too long. And then Jesus just turns to his disciples. I just love, I love the attitude. Why don't you feed them? It's like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and Philip says, would it take over eight months away just to feed all of these people? Are you kidding? And then Andrew, who you just got to love, just the, the, the simple faith of the guy, he, t- he turns up with a little kid and he goes, well, he's got some fish and some loaves. Well, you know, that's a good start, right? <laughs> you know. And, um, and so Jesus goes, great. All right, we'll start to hand it out. So the disciples start to hand out this kid's lunch to the crowd. And uh, as, as we know, the, the multitude is fed. Uh, but not only is the multitude fed and the, the Bible tells us fed to, sat- like fully satisfied, they were full. But then Jesus says, go and collect up the leftovers and the disciples collect up 12 baskets full of bread left over. And then uh, Jesus says to the disciples, I need to go up and have a quiet time up on the hill up here. So um, the disciples say, okay, well, we're going to hop in the boat and we'll, we'll meet you wherever we're going to meet you. So off they go. And then the wind and the waves kind of comes up and, and they're sort of caught out there in the middle of the, the lake. And so Jesus walks on water toward them. And as I said before, as he's coming toward them and they're going, oh, no, it's a ghost, he says, um, don't be afraid, I am. And then he hops in the boat with them after Peter has a little bit of a try of walking on water. And, you know, he does okay. He does better than any of you or I have done, so let's not judge. And um, he, uh, Jesus hops in the boat. And then the Bible tells us that he, he lands directly at Capernaum. They, they immediately arrive at the shore. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 25 of chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, so people were looking for him, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you then give us that we may see it and believe you? Can you believe this? It's like you literally fed thousands of people with a kid's lunch yesterday and you're asking for a sign. Like, what's your problem? Anyway, what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The thing for me in listening to a story like this, Jesus is sitting at the synagogue in Capernaum. And these people have come seeking him out because they heard about yesterday's miracle. They were either there or they heard about it, right? So he's got these people, they're following him and they can see that there's a buzz and there's something going on. But when it comes down to it, Jesus sees their heart and he's going, you're not actually after what I'm coming to offer. You're just, you're after the free bits. You're after the, you know, 
<laughs> you want a free feed. And, uh, and so he's going, I actually want, I want more than that from you. Like I want your heart. I want your hunger for me. I, I want you to want eternal life. I want you to look for something that's going to sustain you. Um, but you're just, you're after a free feed. But as a person, I'm imagining what it would be like to be a, Jew, a Jewish person sitting in a synagogue, hearing these words, I am the bread of life. Because I think for us, we, you know, we've got a, in our culture, we've got a pretty strong relationship with bread, right? You know, we understand that it's a staple and we, we have it sitting in the cupboard or in the, in the fridge, wherever it is. And um, most of us would eat bread as a staple most of the days of our life. But for Jewish people, bread is really important. It's symbolic in so many different ways, and it's part of ritual and it's part of offering. And so for a Jewish person listening to these words, they're actually hearing a whole lot more than what we would hear. And so I wanted to plunge into some of that area today. The first one that I find really fascinating is just a New Testament link. The, um, the word Bethlehem means house of bread. So you've got Jesus actually coming forth, being born into the place where bread comes out of. Um, that's, that's even just the, the name, what the name means, which is fascinating. I guess the people in the crowd may not have known that he was born in Bethlehem, but I find it significant that he was. Um, but as a listener sitting in that synagogue in Capernaum, as he said this, I think the very first thing that my, my ears would have been attuned to in regard to bread, and they even talk about it in this passage themselves, is the manna in the wilderness. They say, you know, Moses supplied this manna for us. Um, and so their, their mind would go to that time in the wilderness where for 40 years um, down from heaven, or, you know, it would just every day it would appear on the ground. Um, and the Lord gave them, this, gave them these instructions that every morning they were to go out, they were to collect up as much as they would need for their family collect up and there's sort of like flakes on the ground but they they called it bread from heaven um and you go up and collect this for your family and that would be your sustenance for the day um sometimes there was quail as well but manna was there all the time for 40 years and on the sabbath it wasn't they were there would be twice as much the day before the sabbath which just proved even all the more that it was a miracle from god that they'd collect twice as much for the for the second day um, so that they wouldn't have to gather at Sabbath. And so the, the fascinating thing about manna is that it was for their sustenance and it, and it was for their nutrition. But it wasn't just for nourishment, it was for their survival. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it's not just for our sustenance. It's not just for our nourishment, it's actually for our survival. And this daily going, this daily gathering, has a, a really strong link here that, um, you know, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's expecting for us to come and he's expecting for us to uh, be sustained by him, not randomly, but regularly, because we need him to survive. Uh, for the Jewish people, for the Jewish person sitting in the synagogue that day listening uh, and thinking about the manna in the wilderness, they would have very, very strong um, understanding and connection to the provision of God, because manna represents the provision of God, God's provision, and it, it symbolizes God's provision. Matthew chapter 6 is part of the Lord, Lord's Prayer when Jesus is talking about talking to his disciples about how to pray, 
he includes in that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And here he's calling himself the bread of life. And so you've got this connection of you, you actually, if you want to survive and you want to be nourished and you want to be sustained, then you're going to need to come to me daily because God, I am the provision of God for your life. So the first thing that it, it represents uh, when he says, I'm the bread of life, or the first thing that would have come into their mind would have been, you're saying that you're God's provision. I am the provision of God for your sustenance, for your survival. The second kind of symbol of bread that I think they, they would have been reminded of when they heard him say, I'm the bread of life, is actually the matzah. The matzah is the bread that was used in the Passover. Um, they were told to bake unleavened bread. And when they were in, in Egypt and the Lord had said to them, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt, he instructed them very carefully how to create their Passover meal, what they would eat, the kind of spices they would have used, the sort of bread that they would have made, this matzah, and then to tuck their, their coat into their belt so that they were ready to go, eat standing up because you're going to go when I tell you to go. And, um, and so this matzah is actually representative of salvation. When it's, uh, when it's eaten, when it's, um, when it's used in ritual in the Passover now in communion, like we just did before, although um, I have a, a half cracker, it's not really matzah, but it does have holes in it like matzah does. It's symbolic of salvation, the Lord's salvation. So I wonder if those people sitting there that day in the synagogue are thinking to themselves, okay, he's not just saying, I am the bread of life, therefore I am God's provision, but I am the bread of life, therefore I am God's salvation. And he certainly he turned out to be. And the third thing um, that I think they would have recognized in far is in um, regard to the symbolism of bread would have been um, the show bread in the tabernacle. So in Exodus chapter 25, during Moses' time, God instructed the high priest to build a table for the holy place in the tabernacle. And 12 loaves of bread called the show bread were to be placed on the, the table in the tabernacle. And the, the table in the tabernacle was to sit in the presence of God. And the whole point of the, the show bread was that it was, met, it was even called the bread of his presence, or literally in the Hebrew, the bread of his face. So wherever the presence of the Lord was, um, this bread was in his sight. So if you wanted to know where the presence of the Lord was, if you, if you were around the show bread, which nobody was ever allowed to be apart from the high priests, but if you were around the showbread, this kind of offering to the Lord, then you knew you were in the presence of God. And so these 12 loaves of bread, they were um, set out on this table as a, uh, a symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel under the presence, under the face of God, where his presence was in the tabernacle. And then that continued on into the temple era and would have um, been the case in Jesus' time as well. But what I find really fascinating about this um, this symbol, um, this bread, this showbread symbolizing God's presence, is that earlier on in this chapter, as we saw, Jesus had fed the 5,000. And then afterwards, as, as you'll remember, he says to the disciples, go and collect up all the leftovers. And they collect 12 baskets full of bread. And to me, that's so symbolic. That's Jesus saying, this bread is the showbread because I am the presence of God in your midst it doesn't need to be locked away in the temple anymore 
the showbread is in my viewing. It's in front of my face. Therefore, I am the presence of God. And so for this person who's sitting there in the synagogue at Capernaum that day, listening to this teaching of Jesus, they'd be thinking to themselves, he's saying, I am, so he's equating himself with God. He's saying, I am the provision of God for you. I am the salvation of God for you. And I am the presence of God for you. I mean, it's so full on loaded, right? And we're not even at the end of the phrase. <laughs> we just got to, I am the bread. <laughs> because then he adds on, I am the bread of life. Now in the Greek, there's a couple of words that are used for life. One of them is bios. We would say bios because we get the word biology from, from it. Um, but bios means tangible life. So your body, the shelter that you live uh, under, the food that goes into your body, the, um, the work that you do, the clothes that you wear, the way that you provide for yourself, all of that tangible stuff uh, would be included under this word bios. But the second word is zoe. And zoe means eternal life. It means absolute fullness of life and it means vitality of soul. And what Jesus says here is, I am the bread of Zoe. So in other words, he's saying, I am the provision, the salvation and the presence of God for your eternal fulfilling life of your soul. It's full, right? It's rich. It's extraordinary. And he's just throwing it out there as bait <laughs> to see what will happen with these people. You know, what will their response be? He's saying to them, if you want life in you, if you want sustenance in you, if you want to survive this life of faith of following me, if you want that Zoe, that eternal fulfilling life, you, you need to allow me to be the bread that sustains you. You need uh, me to be your daily provision. You need me to be your salvation. You need me if you want to know the presence of God. But then he also continues on from there. He doesn't just leave it. He continues on from there to start to tell them that he's going to sacrifice his own bios to provide it, to provide the eternal Zoe. So we're going to skip down a bit because there's a little bit of grumbling and mumbling amongst the crowd. It continues here anyway, so we haven't really missed anything. Um, but in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching at the, at the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, one of the things that we have is the benefit of hindsight, right? So we understand that there's a connection here. 
uh, with what Jesus is saying. We, we understand that when he's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's going to sacrifice his flesh and blood on a cross. They don't know that. Um, we also know that he's going to ask us years later to, well, only a year later it was, uh, for his disciples to celebrate that sacrifice in for them Passover and for us communion, that we would use symbols to remember that sacrifice that he made and, and celebrating that, which we've done already here today. But for them, I mean, they didn't see any of that coming and they didn't understand any of that symbolism. So for them, this was horrific teaching. Like it's potentially one of the hardest things I think that Jesus taught them or said. Because, you know, if, if somebody came to us and said, look, you're just going to have to eat a human, we would be horrified and we'd go, uh, well, no thanks. Um, have a nice day. But for Jewish people, it was abhorrent. Like this is cannibalistic pagan practices. Jewish people weren't even allowed to touch a dead body, let alone eat someone's flesh and drink someone's blood. And yet Jesus uses this language. Um, it almost, it seems deliberately to get a rise from, you know, how, how willing are you to understand the metaphors I'm talking to you about? He's not saying that they're going to have to be cannibals but he is wanting to bring them into a place where they're prepared to wrestle with the metaphors. And um, so the, there's words themselves were absolutely shocking to them. And so I, I kind of go, okay, then what do you do with that as a person in that moment? How do you wrestle with that? And how do you try to understand what he's saying? And I, I, think, I think the key thing here in regard to eating of bread and drinking of blood is the understanding that when something goes into your mouth, it becomes a part of you. So a couple of weeks ago, I was um, listening to some teaching by Roma Waterman, and she said, she said, I love that verse in Psalm 34, 8, that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And she goes, the reason that I love it is because when you talk about tasting, you're talking about eating. And when you eat something, it assimilates into yourself. You can't separate it. So when you take it into yourself, it becomes a part of you and you and it become one. And I think that that's a really good way to think about, even imagine here what Jesus is talking about. Because when we go to Jesus and we, um, and we interact with him, he doesn't want us just looking at bread on a shelf. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be the loaf of bread that we go, um, hey, everybody, look, this is the most beautiful loaf that you've ever seen in your life. It's so amazing. I'm, I'm not going to touch it because it just looks so. it smells so good. Like it, if you feel it, it just feels so good. And if you look at it, it's like just the prize piece, like prize loaf of bread. So I'm just going to put it there on the shelf and just admire it. Because it's pointless, right? Looking at bread is utterly pointless, does nothing for you. You actually have to take it and you have to eat it. You have to partake of it. You have to consume it. And, and Jesus is saying to them, I want to be assimilated into you on a regular basis. I want you to take me into yourself on a regular basis because that's where you're going to get your sustenance from. Jesus seems to be um, teaching the people here to consume him, to come to him daily like the manna in the desert, but not just to gather, 
to consume. That's precisely what he's inviting them to do. And I believe inviting for us to do as well. Further down in, um, in verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I just find it extraordinary that within the space of 24 hours, Jesus had multitudes of people wanting to come and hear him. And 24 hours later, a whole host of his disciples had walked away because they couldn't handle the teaching that he was giving them. And yet we find the 12 there, and, and Jesus doesn't, I mean, he's obviously concerned because he'd like for them to be, he'd like for them to follow him, but he's not going to ask, he, he's not prepared to lead them on and allow them to believe that it's not going to cost, that it's not going to be hard, that he's not going to sometimes give them difficult teachings, that he's not going to ask them to do hard things. And when he turns to the 12 and he says to them, are you going to leave me too? I think about what Peter's reaction or what all of their reactions must have been. Because it's not like for them, they went, oh, we've got some sort of inside knowledge. Everybody else can leave, but ha, we understand what he's talking about. They would have been just as horrified as all of the others. And yet what happens with, with Peter as he responds, and it's, you know, <laughs> it's so easy to read the Gospels, I think, sometimes, and, you know, we imagine the response, oh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I think it was probably more likely, where else am I going to go? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, seriously, do you have to talk like this? I hate it. I don't want to hear this. I don't want you saying this stuff to me. But where else am I going to go? Because for two years, you've shown me that you, who you are. So what else am I going to do? And I think if we're honest as, as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that there are times when he brings us into situations like that where it's costly and it's tough. And when he, he speaks to us or he challenges us or he brings us into situations that are, are painful, to recognize that sometimes following Jesus feels like flying <laughs> on the wings of an eagle and sometimes it feels like sitting in a cage. It can be challenging and it can be tough, but then we have the choice as to whether we're going to be the ones who say, well, I can't handle this, I'm going, or whether we choose to go, well, I, there's nowhere else I can go. I'm going to have to stick through this and see how you work it out. Because reality is he did work it out and it was more painful than this moment when he did. And yet it was glorious beyond that. And so when I think about what might have been going through their head as, he heard, as they heard those words, the that 12, I wonder whether he remembered that prayer that he taught them to pray. Give us each day our daily bread. And made them think about what it is to, to be with him on a daily basis and to listen to his voice and to hear his instructions and to be led by him and to follow him. I wonder whether uh, it came to their mind that, that recollection of um, 
of when he told them about his temptation in the desert. When the enemy came to him and said to him, well, clearly you're hungry. Why don't you make these stones into bread and sustain yourself? And Jesus' response was, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the voice of God. And so as we look at this passage about Jesus being the bread of life, I'm convinced the bread of life is the voice of God. The bread of life is the voice of Jesus. It's the opportunity for us to daily gather. So much of the, the, the symbolism is to remind us that God's voice, the voice of Jesus himself, is daily sustenance for us. And just like the Israelites had to go out and gather manna in the wilderness daily, we need to gather Jesus. <laughs> we need to gather, go to him, find him, listen to him, connect with him, be sustained by him. And I am convinced that in this season now, this season that we've come into, this decade of God's mouth, God's voice, that those who hunger for his voice will be filled. This is not something that's reserved for the prophets. You know, the prophets here, you know, awesome. I, I love prophets. I think prophets are amazing people. They're usually kooky nuts and it's fantastic. I love kooky nuts prophets. They're awesome. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't say, I'm, I am the bread to be distributed to the prophets so that the prophets can distribute the bread to you. He didn't say that, right? He gives all of us the opportunity to come to him and together. He doesn't, he's not into intermediaries. He'll use prophets to tell big things that are going on. But when it comes to our daily sustenance, he wants us to come to him and to be able to listen and hear. And I, and I believe that we as God's people are being called into a season where if we hunger for his voice, we will be filled. We will be filled. I am the bread of life, he says. I provide myself for your sustenance and life so that when you take me into yourself, you will be transformed, eternally sustained and spiritually healthy. So I don't know how that lands with you. I kind of feel like there's so many, there's so many different things in there that could connect with each of us differently. But my challenge to you guys um, as God's people is to go into that, that place of hunger and deeply, like deep hunger, just wanting to connect with him in a deeper level, in a, like regularly coming to him and asking to hear his voice and that you would find sustenance from the bread of life from those places. And so, um, you know, for the past, I don't know how, how long it's been in ministry, I have, I've had people say to me, but I don't know how to hear. And I think there's a multitude of different ways that we do hear. And, you know, so there's, there are people around who can help, <laughs> is what I want to say. But I, I, I don't believe that it hasn't worked before is a good enough excuse. And I don't believe that um, I might get it wrong is either. Because you know what? You might get it wrong. But you also might hear him 80% of the time. And isn't that better than nothing? So, yeah, God is, God is calling us up and he's calling us out. And um, for some of us, we need to repent of being um, apathetic. I had to do that. And for some of us, he's just going, 
I want to go deeper. I want you to take me more fully into yourself. I want you to consume me. I want to sustain you. I want to be assimilated into you day after day after day after day so that you are not just sustained, but as your survival, to be your provision, to be God's provision for you, to be God's salvation for you, to be God's presence for you, so that you can have fullness of life. Can we pray? Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. <laughs> Such an amazing teacher and um, an amazing teacher of who you are, but also that he would be prepared to give his life, that he would be prepared to give his spirit so that we can hear, that we can be continually connected to you, almighty God. and. Um, we're so grateful, we're so privileged, we're so thankful to you. That you don't, you're not far off, you don't leave us alone, but that you want to be intimately connected with us. And Lord, if this is a season, which I believe it is, that you're bringing your people into just a new level of connection with you, recognition that you are our source of life, that we don't have to go on with our own devices and in our own strength and making our own decisions, but you're calling us to a place where we inquire of you and we find out what it is that you're doing. Lord, the, the possibilities for change, the possibilities for the miraculous things to happen um, on this earth, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, it's extraordinary. It's, it's impossible to even imagine what you could do if we were eating of you daily, hearing your voice, pursuing you, listening and obeying. And so Lord, I, I thank you for this community of people who are faithful to you and followers of you. And I want to pray for new depth, new growth, new beginnings, a new level. Even right now, as we are separated, even right now, as we sit in our individual homes, I pray for a fresh and filling of your Holy Spirit for each one of us. Thank you for your presence, Lord. I love that even though we're separated, you are with each of us. You can't be limited even when we are. And so we give ourselves to you afresh, Lord, and we want to say we love you. Build up a hunger within each of us. And then, Lord, I thank you that you will fill it. In the beautiful, mighty, and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.